There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson, and today I'm speaking with whitetail killer Tyler Jones. All right, folks, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. You might notice that this is not the voice of Mark Kenyon. He sent me a text last week saying something like, I'm going to go get some Botox so I don't have to use so many filters on my TikToks. I'm going to be honest here. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what language he's speaking half the time, but I just, I wish him luck on that with whatever that means. Today's guest is Tyler Jones. Tyler is a born and raised Texan who's one of the most successful public land bow hunters out there. He's also one of my favorite people in the industry. He produces a pile of whitetail content for his brand, which is called The Element. From their podcast to their YouTube videos, Tyler and his partner, Casey Smith, are dedicated to representing hunting as it really is. They show it as it actually happens out there, and they're really good at it. In this episode, we cover a bunch of different topics, ranging from setting realistic hunting standards to embracing new hunting challenges to really figuring out your own hunting style so that you'll love the process and every second of the time you're in the field. The lessons in this show are good for every month of the deer season, and they carry right on over to the off season as well. Tyler, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. It is always wonderful to see your face and I got to tell you, man, I don't know. And I, I'm, this is no joke here between you and Casey, who's your partner in crime. They're over at the element. I don't know if there's 10 people in the country the last few years who have, who have put together as impressive of a public land whitetail run as you guys have. You guys are, you, it, it's, it's amazing what you've done. Well, thanks, man. I, uh, been super blessed, man. I, I, um, I work really hard at it, but, um, in the end, you know, there, there's a lot of things that have to come together for you to actually kill a deer way back on public land. So I just feel grateful, man, that I've been able to do it a lot, you know? 
Yeah. Well, you're being humble because you're you're on a freaking tear, and it is awesome <laughs> to see. And Casey is not uh, letting you pull too far ahead because that dude's putting down some big deer on public too. How many? Mm-hmm. Just just out of curiosity, how many bucks did you kill this year? Killed four so far on public, um, and I killed four public in four different states last year, and one uh, here at my property where I'm sitting right now. That was really a big one. I chased him for a long time. So I had, that was my best season last year and I did not think I'd be able to top it. But if a few things go right from here on out, I may top it this year. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's still a lot of time left and all yeah. those bucks were on film too, right? Yeah. Well, that's uh, a, uh, that's the one thing I self filmed last year a lot. And, uh, you know, the actual kill shots were, uh, not always on film, uh, <laughs> but I got to, I was just like, dude, I'm killing this deer, man. I'm, I mean, you know, it just didn't, didn't always work out for me, but yes, there, there's all, there's films of all of them. Yeah. Out there. So the majority of the, the footage is on there. That is, uh, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's impressive. I mean, really when you think about what it takes to go out, even in your home state and kill one, we'll just call it a Pope and young buck on public land. That's like a huge accomplishment in any given year. I don't care, even if you live in Iowa. I mean, it's it's not as big in some of these really good states, but it's still like no joke. And to have sure. you guys come from Texas and go all over and do that is, it's pretty cool to see. And I know a, a part of your secret is th- this relationship you've got with KC. And we, we were talking about this, you know, just before we got on here about how important it can be to have somebody you trust to bounce hunting ideas off of one another yes absolutely man like that's the that is one of the keys man um and kc uh you know i'll let him tell the story whenever he gets on here at some point but uh, you know his deer recently that he killed that was really nice he would he's on our podcast said the same thing about me uh just being somebody that you can trust to just be in the right spot to help out when you know you need it and so you know, that's, that's a thing, man, that like super, uh, underrated and something that we, we value tremendously is each other. And that, like you said, somebody that you trust, because I mean, there's, I've had a lot of, you know, people that I've dealt with over the years, just being doing this and, and whatever else and music, like we've talked about before. And, um, like even people that you kind of get to know for a little while, um, and you think you might trust sometimes can fool you, you know? And so like, that's just part of humanity and that you get let down sometimes, you know? Um, and I mean, I've given, I've sent out cameras to lots of people that I thought were going to help me in a state that's a long ways away because everything's a long ways from Texas. It feels like, and so, and you end up not getting any pictures, you know, cause you send them trail cameras and you thought you might could share some info, you know, doesn't happen. And it's just like, man, you know, but KC is truly just I mean, heart of gold kind of guy and uh, really brilliant. You know, like he's very smart. He can come up with a comeback faster than anybody I know. And he just, you know, he works, his mind works so fast and he can scroll through maps. He's as good on a map as I've ever seen anybody be. I mean, he is just quick. So it's definitely the, of the most value. And I think uh, maybe, maybe the biggest key factor to my success has been just being able to work with him and pour over maps and think about stuff, you know? Yeah. And it's, it seems, I guess it might seem like kind of, kind of simply intuitive to be like, yeah, having somebody, having a hunting partner is a good thing, 
but man, you can have, you can partner up with somebody, like you said, who kind of really helps you level up, or you can partner with somebody who actually brings you down. And, you know, I've, I, I realized this recently, um, I've got a really good buddy, Eric, who I, I hunt with a lot and he's really become a good whitetail hunter. Like he, there was a long time where, you know, he would make a suggestion. And I was like, yeah, cool story, bro. Like, we're just going to do my thing. <laughs> But he's, you know, especially in the last seven or eight years, he's really got obsessed with it and he's gotten good at it. And it's fun to kind of strategize. And, you know, we're like you and KC, we give each other a lot of shit, but like we, we respect each other's opinions and, you know, ideas. And it really kind of seems like what it takes to have somebody who brings a lot of value to the table is somebody who's operating on the same wavelength as you. Like, do you have somebody who's willing to work like you are? And has the same kind of goals. Cause if you, you know, if you have a mismatch in that relationship where you're, you know, if you're the kind of guy who thinks you can kill four big bucks on public land and you're, you're, you're partnering up with somebody who's kind of a weekend warrior, it's probably not a great match. Yeah. Yeah. No. And there's definitely, you know, there are definitely things in every relationship that uh, the two individuals are going to have as differences, you know, like there are things um, like we're both, I would say we're both pretty tough overall individuals net i'm not trying to you know we, you and i are talking you know me so but the listener may not but i'm not trying to say anything awesome about myself i'm just saying um i would consider myself pretty tough since i've slept on a lot of hardwood floors and couches um you know through throughout the years and stuff <laughs> um you know and it just it just makes you kind of like you're kind of just kind of calloused to it's like, you know, if you have a place to lay down and stretch out that night, you're happy as opposed to I need my bed and my pillow, you know. And so, like, that's one thing that helps is that we're both kind of on that level where we really are pretty simple guys and we don't need like a ton. I think like at the core, uh, as far as just beliefs and stuff like that go, we are very closely matched up, which is a big deal. But I think like you see a lot of guys maybe in the industry and stuff, I guess that are kind of uh, influencers or whatever that, you know, may start out together hunting and, and then all of a sudden like, you know, they gain a little fame and they think um, maybe it's time to part ways or whatever. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of guys will do that for the sake of, man, I just didn't like the way he hunted. And I think that's, um, you know, you, you definitely uh, want to, try to hunt effectively when you're out and you're using your own time and stuff. But you and I talked about this off air earlier, like your idea is not necessarily the best one in the world, you know? And they're like, if you go, I know you go, you know, like to some of these States and you'll shoot like a nice buck. He may not even be a Pope and young buck. Right. Well, somebody out there could have had an idea that afternoon and gone and done what they did and shot like a 160, you know, cause they're, they're around when you're out there, you know, when you're out in Nebraska or North Dakota or whatever, like there are big deer out there. Right. And if you come home without that deer, there was a plan somewhere that could have killed that deer. Right. So you're, you're not the wisest guy in the woods, you know, you just, if you can keep that in mind and work in a collaborative way with, you know, with your buddy, and, you know, like you said, if he works hard and he tries to get better to learn more like your buddy, Eric, eventually you're going to get on that same wavelength. You're going to be kind of at a same level of understanding of whitetail deer. And then you can really, you know, that's when you really start to mesh and just hammer deer, you know? Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it started to feel a little personal there with those examples, but I'm going to let it slide there, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had to- I know where you hunt sometimes. So like, I, had to, I, had um, I do, I do really think that 
the value of, of pairing up with somebody who's, who's of a similar mindset is so important. And it's also, uh, it's also just really important to be with, to, to work with somebody who's like, I want to keep getting better. And that's, that's, that's a message. I think, I think we haven't pushed it very well in the hunting industry. And we, we do this with a lot of things, right? I see this with dog training all the time. I see this with a lot of stuff where it's like, we're going to give you the answer, but it's not really the answer. Right? Like people always want to know, like, how, how do you scout this place? Or what kind of sign do you look for? Like, what's the answer? What's the answer? And I'm like, the answer is to keep challenging yourself and, and working hard at this stuff. Like it, the yeah. best hunters out there are not the ones who consistently always kill 200 inchers on certain properties, right? Like they, they may kill huge bucks and that's awesome. Good for them. But would you consider them the best hunters? Like, no, the best hunters are out there challenging themselves and trying to get better. And they're going, you know, I kind of got this nailed in this state. I'm going to go try this state. You know, like I was just talking mm-hmm. to Clint Campbell about this. Cause he just got back from Kansas and you know, he was trying the whole shoot him from the ground <laughs> decoy him type of thing. And he's like, man, that was no joke. You know, when you're trying to kill a white tail around no trees during the rut, it's a different thing, but I promise you, even though he didn't kill a buck, he, he left that hunt a better hunter. And I guarantee yeah. you at some point there's a dead buck out there in Kansas with his name on it that's going to be killed that way. And that's that's how you get better. And he'll take that home. Just like when you guys, you know, he goes home to PA, you go home to Texas. Those public land hunts where you're really challenging yourself, you're bringing stuff home that you're going to carry with you forever that's only going to make you better. And you get two people like that working on the same wavelength, it is freaking it's it's yep. a rough time for the deer usually. Yeah, it is, man. You know, the question I have, um, my dad uh, has run a fishing lodge. He was a CPA in Dallas when I was young, and he decided um, he did not like the corporate ladder and the backstabbing and all that. And um, so he uh, moved, he took whatever money he had made as a CPA and said, I'm going to start a fishing lodge, renovated this place, started a fishing lodge back in 1993 opened it up, still owns it today. And so we, we were at Lake Fork in Texas, which if anybody knows anything about bass fishing, I mean, arguably the best lake in the world. Um, you know, it's 35 or something of the top 50 in Texas, including the state record, you know? And and so really cool things that I got to see growing up. And, um, one of the fishing guides that my dad got to know really well over the years, who's also a really good bow hunter. He's just an outdoorsman, you know, total outdoorsman. He, always said when it came to fishing, um, he, he'd caught, we have a lunker program. It's called, uh, the share lunker program. And yep. you know, if you catch a bass over 13 pounds, you get a free replica and that fish goes in its spawns and they, you know, gain genetics through that. So, uh, he's caught four that were over 13. And I, I don't think, I don't know if anybody put more into the program than he has. Um, and so anyway, he's, he fished the, the classic twice, uh, just a heck of a fisherman, you know, and this guy says, tells my dad one day, he's like, because they start, they, that my dad kind of, uh, he didn't learn to hunt really till he was in college. And so Richard, the guide, um, you know, as I was growing up real young and stuff, my dad was learning a lot from him and hunting on leases with him and stuff here in East Texas. And he used to always say, you have to ask the question, why, why is that fish there? Why is he on that side of the stump? Is, is it the shady side? Is it the, is it the sunny side? Is there the windy side or is it the leeward side? You know, like. What is that fish doing? It's doing something for a reason. And it's the same thing with deer. Why is that deer there? So if you if you uh, go sit in a tree stand and you go, man, I was so close, man. I had tons of bucks in there today. I think I'm just going to go back in there and try it again. 
you know, in tomorrow's different conditions, then you may just completely ha- have the worst next few days of your life hunting, you know, I mean, because you didn't ask yourself why, why were those bucks all 70 yards from me? You know, why were they all 70 yards from me? I saw a bunch of them. It was a great hunt from a, you know, visual standpoint, but I didn't kill one. So why didn't I kill one? You know, and the question is why and I always think, I always think back to that. And that's one thing KC does really well too, is ask, you know, why is that you're doing that? He's really good. At, and he's very observant too. He sees everything in the woods. Yeah. I think I love that, that example of, you know, bass fishing and trying to, trying to ask yourself questions. Cause I, I found this with my little girls, what it, taking them hunting and taking them fishing has taught me that I have to explain everything. I can't just, <laughs> you, you know, like, I mean, that sounds like a joke, but it's true, man. I get asked 412,000 questions every hour when we're doing something. And what it forces me to do is go, okay, well, I have to answer why. Like they're asking me, why did we catch a smallmouth here when we've never caught one before? Or mm-hmm. why, like you said, why did that deer come in that way? Or why didn't we kill that deer? And I just think that all of that stuff feeds the machine. The more you're out there thinking about this stuff. And like, it's, I, I want to be careful here and to not make it sound like it's like guerrilla warfare against the bass or against the deer. It's not like you can have a lot of fun asking why. And, but you got to know when, you know, we, we always look at this and go, you know, I want to go out and have that banging day where I catch a ton of spawning largemouth and it's a blast. And they're they're not even thinking about it. If you can flip a jig anywhere near their bed, they're toast, right? That's fun. But like, it's just fun. Like you don't, you don't learn probably a ton. It's the same thing. If you go out on a really easy deer hunt, it can be a hell of a lot of fun to shoot a gift buck once in a while, but you're not learning as much. And so it's the times that go wrong or the times when it's like, like you said, that those bucks were at 70 yards. They never got closer. And two of them picked me off in the tree. What's going on here? Why, why did I get this wrong or why did they get it right? And the more yep. you start questioning that stuff, the more you make fewer mistakes in the future. And you you just learn like this, this is just how this stuff goes most of the time, but I can just like hedge my, my bets just a little bit better by trying to figure out the reasons for nature doing what it does. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and like, as you, as you do that, um, it's like, or as you get more experience doing these things, you have more instances, like when you, when you first start out deer hunting, um, your why is, um, maybe like as simple in Texas as we put a corn feeder out right here. Why? Well, because you might not see any deer if you don't. So, and why are the deer coming here well they're coming to this corn feeder it's simple it's a big concept right and 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 so like you that's your why when you start out and then you get like years and years into this thing i mean i've been hunting deer for almost 25 years you know and you you start to your why may become um like something as simple as or or simple as detailed as um like why did that deer not smell me when it seemed like he was downwind? What was the, there was something in the lay of the land or a thermal or something, you know, that blows my mind that he didn't smell me. And how did that happen or whatever, you know, or just like it get, becomes really detailed. The whys do a lot of times because the why of why is it I mean, like the kind of what and why of a deer moving from bed to feed in the evening and feed to bed in the morning, that's, you know, that's a, it's something that needs to be learned. But like at that point, it's so ingrained in your head. It's like a, 
he's like a cornerback in the league learning to feather or whatever. I mean, he just does it, you know, it's just, it's nothing. So, um, you know, your, your, your why becomes so detailed that I don't know, like to me, it's, it's, it's like, um, like you said, it's not necessarily that you're doing this guerrilla warfare thing. It's like, you almost are like a scientist. You're, you're, it's like biology, you know, you're learning about deer and why they do things and how they behave and what parts of their body you need to be aiming for when you shoot, you know, is he going to duck? Is he not? Like all these things. And it almost seems like if you take it to that level that you, you never will lose the fun in deer hunting because you've always got something even more detailed that you can break into and try to figure out, you know, it's really cool. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. You know, we, we present public land. I know you guys do and I do too as like the ultimate bow hunting challenge, right? Like part of it's sales speak, part of it's true. Like it's, it's yeah. tough, but we want people to think it's super, super hard because it makes us look better. Like I, there's a reason we, we, we frame it the way we do. Right. Yeah. But the secret that I love about it is it takes me to places where I have to ask why. So, and, and I, I'm not knocking this. Like, I, I don't care how people want to hunt, but like, I've got a property over in Wisconsin that has a food plot on it. Like if I go there and sit on that food plot, there, like, there's not a lot of why, <laughs> you know, like, I don't have to ask a lot of yeah. questions. I'm like, they want to come here to this clover and they walk by and we can shoot them. 
But when you go on a new place, you have to ask why about everything. And I, I think about this, like I'll, I'll give you an example. So the, the property that I hunted in Wisconsin this year for our one week in November series uh, is, is a property my buddy bought this past spring. It was 90 acres. It's a beautiful property. It's so cool. But we'd never hunted there before. So we had only turkey hunted it and we scouted it, set up stands. And, you know, this is this is Mississippi River Bluff stuff. Like this is my, I grew up hunting this. Like I'm like, I got this. Don't worry, buddy. But we start hunting it and- the deer movement so many times was not what I expected. Like I had, I had rut funnels. I had rut pinch points. I was like, brother, I am, this is where this happens. Like there will be a dead buck here. And I just was amazed at how wrong I got it. Like I was, I was close a lot of times and how I killed my buck was like really close to how I called it, but quite a bit different. And I, you know, and I'm sitting there and going, why, why did that buck peel off of that hill and cut through here this way? When I was like, I would have bet you money he's coming through this way, or he's coming through that way. Or I would have bet you money that all the deer movement comes from this side of the farm to that side of the farm. And I got so much of that wrong. And I love it because it makes me go, why? Like, not only yep. why are they doing that, but why did I think this? Like, why did, why do we get this stuff wrong? Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, and you're hundred percent right. Like the adventure, um, that you kind of get when you go to a new place, just kind of like the reason, the reason people love adventure so much is because it kind of is all inspiring. Like you see something you haven't seen and you learn something new and you think that's really cool, you know? And the, the thing is, man, um, and my dad tells this story, go back to fishing here for a second. He, um, he had some, some family come in that, uh, they lived up North, you know, whatever. And they came in to Lake Fort world famous bass fishing. And he's like, they wanted to go catch a big, try to catch big bass. Right. And so him and like three or four other family members go out in this boat and, you know, it's kind of packed. It's a bass boat and, um, he, they're fishing in, you know, Lake spring or whatever. He catches like a, you know, six pounder and like he, basically reels it in unhooks it and throws it back in like one fell swoop and they're like mouths open like oh my god that's the biggest bass we've ever seen in our lives you know and my dad's like you know i catch several six pounders you know a year you know at that point in his life i mean he's you know trying to catch double digits you know and so it kind of is um you think about like if your circumstances um, are similar from day to day, month to month, year to year, you start to kind of lose this appreciation for, you know, like the 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 glitter and the glam kind of fades, right? And and you start to go, you know, it's like um, for us here, if we see in in East Texas, if we see a, a public land buck that is le- like legal, which means thirteen inches wide or wider, um, like it's like oh, this is incredible. Like, man, we got to get on this deer, you know? And what he is, is he's a 105 inch eight point, you know? And you're like freaking out thinking this is awesome. And if that same deer, which also, by the way, weighs 140 pounds, if that same deer, you know, was in Iowa, they would be thinking, what is wrong with this emaciated, you know, creature here, you know? And so it's kind of one of those things where like the, the, uh, moving around and, having that adventure, it brings some kind of all into you. And it also continues to just make you ask why, like you said, because you've never seen that before. You've never seen it happen that way. And so, you know, it, uh, it helps you to learn more and to, uh, 
kind of spread the, those ideologies across in different states and use it different in different ways, you know, and um, hopefully become a better hunter because um, it it's uh, my dad always says it's fun to go deer hunting, but it's also fun to shoot deer, you know, and so it's it's really fun to shoot deer. So you know, like pulling the trigger, that's the that's the pinnacle, you know. People say I don't have to pull a trigger to be happy, and that's I feel the same way. But, dude, I don't sit there and shake, like, violently the rest of the hunt. You know what I mean? Like, I shake violently after I've shot a deer, you know? So that's what's the most fun. Yeah. There, we've, we've kind of, uh, we like to distill stuff down to easy explanations, right? Like, I, lo- I just love being out there. You know, like, well, yeah, that's like 20% or wh- whatever percentage of it. Is. There's a yeah. lot going on there. Like, there's more to it. And I, I come, I've come to that realization with myself where, I'm like, man, I just like shooting deer. Like I just, yeah. I, I'm not going to apologize for it. Like it's a, it's a thing that I want to do four five, six, seven times a year. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I love it. And I, I want to back up a second though and, and ask you a question. So when you bring up this example of, you know, seeing a, seeing a barely legal buck down there in Texas on public land, you kind of compare it to Iowa. Do you worry? Cause I, I wonder if you have the same worries I do. So when you guys are filming on public land, it's impossible. And, and this happens with our social media too. It's impossible not to kind of run a highlight reel, right? Like you just, you just, nobody wants to see the seven hours you sat there and didn't see anything. And you, you know, like, you're like, I want to go home. Right. So you, you edit this stuff down to the highlights. And when it comes to guys like you, you and KC, the highlight reel the last couple of years is amazing. And so people see that. And are, are you just worried? Like people are going to, Look at that and go. Oh, that's that's what to expect out there. Like, are are you, are you worried about the stuff that's left on the cutting room floor? Because I f- I fight with that all the time. Yes, I fight with it too, man. Like, um, so two years ago, I killed my first Texas public land buck, and uh, twenty nineteen. And so, um, I actually um, everything went right, and I can't. I mean. I did some things that were that were very much right, but it could have gone wrong too. Um, I mean, he was he he there was he had to been really close to getting my wind when he came in. I mean, he did, he was not downwind, and I but he was working towards my wind as he got out of his bed and worked up. But I mean, essentially, well, I'm kind of going into too much detail. But like, he gets out of his bed, uh, and I basically watch him stand up. I I didn't see him stand up, but I saw him standing where he was bedded, no doubt in my mind. And, um, he's like 80 yards or maybe 90 yards in persimmons pretty much. And he just stands there. I mean, you've probably watched bucks get out of your bed. And if you haven't, what they do is like, it's like the same as you, like when you wake up from a hard nap, like you don't do anything for like 20 minutes, you know, you just kind of stand there and you're like, you pee and then you, you know, just itch some stuff, you know, and you just stand there and look around and then finally you get a little more fired up and this deer would, he went over and did some scrape type stuff, you know? And anyway, um, like I do, I got like a lot of footage, a lot of what they call pre-roll of this deer through the persimmons doing that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, from 80 to 80 or 90 yards. So, so it's pretty good footage, you know? And I, I decided to put a lot of that in there instead of, um, you know, outdoor TV edit where you like, you know, show a quick clip and then the next, you know, five seconds, he's coming in and getting shot. 
And I had a lot of people that surprisingly said that they really liked that and that it made them feel like they were in the stand almost, you know? And so um, we still are battling it, though. It's weird because you would think that after that I would just go, okay, well, let me just put as much deer footage in there as possible, you know, and make it like a real hunt. And at some point, like, people still, you know, you can look at YouTube. People don't care to see does. People um, don't care to see small bucks, really, even on public land a lot of times. It's weird, you know. Like, we shoot some bucks that I'm proud of, and I've seen, I send you pictures, you know, deer or whatever that are 105 inches. But, like, it's just, I don't know, like, even hardcore hunters that can appreciate that will still a lot of times go watch a 160 killed on private over over you know something that was worked really hard for maybe that's a much smaller deer and so um it is something that i constantly battle and actually with our south dakota series this this year i thought well we'll put uh we'll make this we'll cut these things up because there was a lot of us hunting and there was like it was an eight-day hunt so it was long and i was i was able to make 10 videos that probably averaged about 10 minutes and I thought, this will be cool, you know, and like people will, will hang in there for 10 minutes, surely, you know. And they didn't really do that great on YouTube. And we killed three bucks on that trip. We killed, yeah, we killed three, you know, good rack bucks on that, tri- on that trip. And so, um, I don't know, I was a little bit, um, I was a little bit perplexed. And we released a video somewhere around beginning of October as well of a deer I killed on public in Kansas last year. Not a huge deer. Um, and it was like 38 minute video. And it, I mean, it's in literally since October, it's got like 150,000 views. I mean, and just blows my mind. Cause he's not that big of a deer, but there's just, I don't know. I think people do appreciate a little bit of, uh, you know, cool deer footage and being like you're in the hunt as opposed to that highlight, um, rock and roll music kind of stuff, you know, sometimes. So I don't know. I, I don't know really how to answer the question. Other than I, just like you, I fight this a lot and I try to figure out what do people want to watch. And at the same time, like, there's an artistic aspect that I like as well where, and, and things mean like things have sentiment to me as well that, you know, in some, some of the hunts and I'm like, man, if I take that out, I don't know if I'll ever remember to put that back in one day when I make my video for myself, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to watch this on YouTube forever. And then I'm going to forget that that little thing happened that really meant a lot to me, you know? So it's a big balancing thing that I can't really figure out as well. It's tough, man. And I I think we're in a, I think we're in a transitionary period here because for a while, you know, I mean, I made the conscious decision to target public land whitetails starting in 2010 it, and it solely because of my job at Peterson's bow hunting. And I was like, man, this is not relatable stuff here. Like I'm, I'm like the audience is telling me, and so it was a business decision partly. And it was partly just cause I want to challenge myself. And at that time it was like you, if you went out and killed a buck on public land, people were like, holy cow. Like I, I, mm-hmm. like I remember people saying like, I didn't even think you could do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh, actually me, do- when I started, when yeah. I started, I was the same way. I was like, I Thank you. That's hard to do. But of course we're in East Texas. It is hard to do here for sure. But, but it, yeah. it's, it, you know, everybody, I, I'm not saying Texas is, is easy in any aspect, believe me, but everybody thinks they live in the hardest place to hunt. And yep. uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, and so we always do that. We, we, we bring that to the table and we go, well, yeah, I guess you could go do this here, but can you do it mm-hmm. there? And we've seen this over and over. 
and it, it's just generally hard where there's lots of pressure. <laughs> like, yeah. and, yes. and, and and if you combine that with low deer density, it gets harder, but mm-hmm. it's so individualized. Like there's so yeah. many different variables that go on there. So I'm always like really, really careful about those statements, but the thing that happened and I wasn't the only one, you know, the, the hunting public guys, they were working for Winky and they were like, man, we're going to go out and do this differently. And they, they crushed it right out of the gate. Like a lot of people saw that hole in the market. And mm-hmm. what we did was we filled it really fast and we made public land hunting really popular. And now we've sort of nullified the, the built in like belief of the challenge. Like we've sort of said, well, we've seen enough people do this and enough people promote this. So we do what we always do. And now we go, where's the trophies? Like, you know, it used to be like, imagine, you know, eight years ago, if you went out and killed two Pope and young bucks on public land out of state, like that was, that was a big deal. Right now you can go kill four and you're like, yeah, some of these videos don't even do that well. Like people are already like, I need to see six, bro. I need to see one eighties. And it's this, this cycle of trophy hunting. That's just, we, we can't really get out of our own way with it. And I don't, I don't know where we go next with this, but we're going to, we're going to burn this public land thing to the ground probably mm-hmm. and have to go hunt with self bows and loincloths or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. sit in a tree and drop a brick on them. I don't know what the hell we got to do, but yeah. it's going to change. And it just, it is the way it is, but I still think, I still think the, 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 the passion that you're bringing to it and the idea that you're looking at that going, listen, I don't know. I, I feel like this is what people want to see. Like, I think that's a good thing. Like I think people showing people more than like you said, the, the rock music and the, the montage of the deer coming in and then killing it and the high fives and all that stuff. Like, I, th- I think that's important still, no matter, e- even if the perception's changing out there, I guess. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I think also that, uh, one thing we try to do, um, and I think it's healthy. I think it's also really hard at, at times for us is, um, we have, you know, bow hunting is really hard, man. Like it, you know, for guys like some of the people you've talked about on this show and for you, it's, um, you're so experienced and it happens for you quite a bit compared to other people. You know what I mean? And you get more shots than other people because, Maybe you, you know, you're better, you're a better hunter. If we're just being frank, you, because you've spent so much time outside and you've also, you're spending so much time in a stand that you're going to get more opportunities as well. And so like the, the, it's different than the majority of the public. And I've st- I'm starting to really, really understand this where, you know, people that even love deer hunting here locally for you know for us it's very normal to hunt a small piece of property and you know spend a lot of time on it and what it what ends up happening is um you know this is the one chance that this guy gets to shoot a deer all year and you know the deer sees him draw and he shoots at the deer and it's high dead zone or whatever and and you know never never find the deer and i've got like I've had like lots of people that I, that I know in the last couple of years that, you know, love deer hunting and spend a lot of time out there and maybe haven't had quite as much time as, as I've been blessed to have in the stand that, you know, they, they get some pretty good bucks in front of them here and there and they just don't finish the job because the shot, it's hard to shoot a deer with the bow and kill it because they move and, you know, especially when you're not hunting a feeder or a small food plot 
a deer is walking through a small shooting lane at some point, you know, it's, it's just tough. And so I think that, uh, to get back to what I was saying is that we, we have shown some of our failures on video and some of our highest viewed videos are fail videos. And, um, we just hope that that sends that message that you're kind of talking about is like, that's, that kind of gets rid of some of the disconnect of highlight reel, you know, uh, the, the, the universe we live in right now, that's, you know, like I was saying earlier with like TikTok, it's like, show me 15 seconds of something I've never seen before, you know? And it's instead it says, you know, um, here's some cool footage of a big buck or a big elk or whatever. And we didn't finish the job. We just, or, or, you know, I made a liver shot and waited eight hours through the night. And when I came back, it, you know, I had a deer get eaten completely. I'm talking every scrap of meat off that thing by coyotes, you know? And so was that in Kansas? Yes. And people do not like seeing that. I'll tell you that right now. There's been some raging folks on that video. Like, and I didn't like seeing it. It was hard for me to walk. Like and be I, when I saw the deer, I saw it from like a hundred y- yards away, kind of down into this little, you know, draw or whatever. And I knew immediately that I wouldn't get any meat off this deer. And the deer, I have no question that the deer died from my liver shot before the coyotes ate it because it was in one spot, completely picked clean. There was no, like, no signs of struggle, no hair everywhere or nothing, you know. Um, But still, it's just like, I have so much respect for the animals, man, and the creation. And, like, those, those, um, that deer in particular was really, really old. Like I have thoughts that he's at least 12 years old. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I had a buddy actually shoot him like three years prior and he was old then and hit high dead zone, you know, and the deer lived through it. So, and just like the things they endure, man. And then when you make a bad shot and you know, this thing has been living in the wild and the cold, you know, and everything else and eating dirt pretty much for years and years of its life and you wound it, it's not a good feeling, you know? And I just kind of want people to know, like, they're not alone, you know, and it's, uh, we get a lot of, uh, really, really rude comments on, on that kind of stuff. And it's like, it's taken a few years for us to like become okay with that being the case. You know, it's, it's hard when people come at you like that. It's something you, yeah, this is something I really, really love doing and I really try hard to do well. So it's difficult. And I would imagine at times still weighs on us individually whenever we see a couple come through on our own personal video, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you do about that? Right? Like when we, we can pretend whatever we want, but when we do this stuff, we're checking in to nature in a way where we're just a part of it. And we're not like a perfect assassin. Like, you know, we're checking in as something that might, make mistakes on this. Mm -hmm. Like we might not Mm -hmm. do our job perfectly and that's how that shit goes. And you know, the, the losing things to coyotes or losing deer to coyotes, man, like that's just part of the game in some of these States. Like there, there are places where you, you could leave a deer all night long. Like I've, let me put it this way. I've never lost a deer to coyotes ever. And the closest I ever came was in North Dakota last year I hit one the night before and went out to try to find him. And I saw a coyote like running over to this corner and he started. The only thing he ate was his balls. (laughs) I got everything else. So I I got really lucky. 
but what I'm saying is like some, some places, this is like a real concern. You hear that in Kansas a lot. Yeah. Like you, you just do. So. And they're out there covering ground and they run across the, the scent of a wounded deer. Like they're, they're going to get on it in some States. Like, in like, you just didn't do your job as well as you could. Like that's, yeah. that's all that happens. And like, when you think about how common it is to not make a perfect shot, like that's like our little secret, like with all deer hunters or all big game hunters or all hunters in general, it's like, we don't make perfect shots a lot of the time. So what comes next is up to a lot of different variables. And that's one of them. And I, you know, the people who I, I get why people are upset with that, but you're also looking at a cesspool of idiots in the comments there. And it's not a great place to be. And, you know, I, they weren't there. Like they didn't shoot it. They don't, they didn't have your gut reaction. They didn't have to make that game time decision of like, how long do we leave it? So it's like, well, like you tried, man. <laughs> like yeah. so, sometimes oh. you lose, bro. Dude, I can promise you. I like, I, I, I try hard, man. You know, I love doing this. I always have, man. Like, you know, I, I uh, we released, uh, so the buck that I killed here at my, my homestead, I guess, um, last year, this is the first property that I've owned that I've been able to hunt on and uh, and hunted on, and this has literally been a dream of mine since I was since I started deer hunting at like nine years old, you know. And I mean, having my own property, it used to be that I wanted a property in South Texas, you know, I wanted a brush country property, and you know, because that was where I killed my first deer was in South Texas on a hundred acre low fence place, you know, down there or whatever. And I, ever since then, I've been just fascinated with that country you know but um yeah i did this we did a film out of this like a not just a video but like the film is literally a hundred minutes you know it's a, an almost hour 40 and um i didn't know like if people would really watch it you know and, and listen I, I did a couple of monologues an intro monologue and i talk about all this you know and uh but I, you know like in that film like i think people could really connect with what i was saying and how much it means to me and i think it got to show a side to people um that maybe a lot of people don't see in the youtube world you know because everything is so glamorous and quick and you know just radical and whatever it has to be to get attention but that video has actually done really well man and i i mean we the the retention on it you know this not people may not care to hear this but like we have like out of a hundred minutes, we're getting like 50 minute average view time. So that's, in, that includes people that start the video and go, Oh, I didn't know this was deer hunting or whatever, you know, and they click off in three seconds. And so it's pretty wild that like people will sit in and watch something like that and listen to me kind of tell my story. And I think hopefully they, they get to see how much truly I've loved deer hunting for since I was young, when I used to just draw deer every time I drew something, you know I mean? It's just, I don't know what it is about deer, but I I've, have realized in the last year that like I've always been fascinated with them. It's not something that I just have pursued in the last couple of years because I feel like I can do video well and I think I can make some money at it. You know, like this is something yeah. I absolutely love doing, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's, I, th I think, you know, you got little kids, it, you see this with little kids and I think we forget this, but I think we're really drawn to mystery. Like, I think mm -hmm. we like surprises and I think we're, yeah. I think as you get, as you become an adult, you sort of fight this battle of like, if I have realistic expectations, I know what's coming. 
you know, there's no bad surprises. There's nothing that's going to, you know, take me out. It's just kind of like consistent, boring bullshit. But we, we lean toward it. And then you go do something like deer hunting. And the coolest thing is when that buck walks over the ridge and you're like, I've never seen him before. Or, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, like when you, I, I think that one of the coolest things about all this stuff, whether it's smallmouth fishing or pheasant hunting or hunting deer is sometimes when you go out there, you're like, I don't, I, I have no faith I'm going to see a deer or I have no faith I'm going to catch a good smallie or shoot a pheasant. And when, when it breaks your way, it's like, even though you've done it, you know, dozens of times or hundreds of times or maybe thousands of times, it's still like, I cannot believe that just happened. Like when you, when you show up yep. at a new place and you're like, I read the maps, I looked at Onyx, I walked in here and you sat there and all of a sudden you look up and he's walking down the trail. It's like, holy balls. That's an amazing yeah. gift that we have. And I think, I think it really keeps us like inspired to just like that. That's like a self-feeding thing too. The more that you just allow yourself to be like, I'm going to be in a position where like, if this, if this breaks a little bit my way, it's freaking awesome. And you know, if you yeah. go kill one, it's, it's, that's like a game changer, but it doesn't have to get to that level to be really, really good for you. Yeah, dude, you nailed it. I mean, like Casey always says, you have to give amazing a chance to happen, you know? So it's kind of the whole concept of like, can't kill him from the couch, you know, or whatever. So, but like, I, I had the same thing happen, man, in, uh, uh, in Kansas uh, about a week and a half ago. And, you know, I had been, I had been hunting hard, um, a buck on my dad's lease up there. And I haven't hunted. He, he, uh, he usually, or he, we, I've always had a spot on his lease. You know, I'm kind of a low man on the totem pole because he always, you know, lets me hunt out there. And so I don't try to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to hunt anybody's deer and they want to shoot big deer. So they try to shoot five-year-old plus deer. And so, um, this year, my dad didn't draw because everybody saw Chris B's video last year and wanted to go shoot deer in Kansas. So uh, they all applied, and my dad didn't draw a tag for the first time in like 20 years, you know. And uh, and so um, there was only a couple guys hunting on the lease even this year. And so um, I was like, well, you know, there's not going to be many deer taking off the place this year. I'm going to go hunt this big 11 point that we've been watching for, you know, since I got video of him in 2017, the first year KC and I ever hunted Kansas together, and KC took video of him, and uh, he's big, big. Hunted him for days and days. I was sick, man. I got I got food poisoning, I think, up there, and it was miserable. And we get, I mean, I've literally hunted 10 days up there, and then um, we get a wind. All right, we spook him one morning, uh, rattled him in, spook him at like 70 yards. Uh, it was a long story, but... Um, I was just like beat down. I was like, man, I don't know what to do. The wind's going to be terrible tomorrow too for him. So can't really hunt him. And so I was like, I'm just going to go to, I'm going to go over to a piece of public and just see as the, as the slogan goes, see what happens, you know? And so I, uh, I went over and, and, uh, my cameraman and I actually split up cause there's two drainages on this place and we were going to watch them both. And the three does and a big buck walk, work into the top of this Canyon, like, three quarters of a mile away, you know, right after the sun kind of starts hitting the landscape and long story short, um, we snuck in on this deer and I killed him at 50 yards from the ground, um, which I've never shot over 40. And I just knew, I said, I told myself, if I'm going to shoot this shot, I know how far he is. I need to focus. And if, and I need to, my pen does not need to be floating around. And so it, it all happened out to where it was that way. I spent a lot of time holding on him when I was at full draw. Um, but 
when I sh- when when I shot him, it's literally it's a, it's a I'm talking dead nuts in the heart at 50 yards, and he comes he had no clue, dude. He comes back down the trail at me, and like gets to like 30, and I I didn't know for sure it was hard. I knew it was kind of low, and so I'm like trying to knock another arrow. I get it knocked. I clip on. I look up, and he's literally closer than when I shot him. He's at like 40 yards, and he's stumbling, and he falls. And crashes right there and i just turned to my cameraman eric and like tackled him like form <laughs> tackled dude i was just like it, you know it's like you say like when something like that happens you just don't like every time i stalk a deer i go it's this won't happen and me and casey will just laugh and stuff you know like we're just out there like we'll be 60 yards from a deer and we're laughing you know because we're like this thing will happen we're just telling jokes and stuff and that's how i was on that one and then literally you know we're sitting 50 yards from him in the grass while he's bedded waiting on him to stand up. And in, in 10 seconds, my whole season changes. Just a massive deer goes down at 40 yards. And it's like you said, it's like the most amazing thing, dude. Like when something like that happens and it surprises you, man. And that surprise, like you said, is something that I do think we crave, man. And it's, it's uh, to see something new and amazing happen. It's such a blessing, man. It's awesome. It, it is. I mean, I had – the filming this series for, for us here, you know, that, that big one I killed in Minnesota. I mean, I, I would, I was sitting there thinking like, how long is my camera man going to make it? Cause it was so cold. And I was just like, I just didn't have that much faith. And I'm like, I would have shot a hundred incher. And then you have an awesome buck run in and, you know, six days later, I'm sitting there in a stand and had made a lot of mistakes in the last few days and it's like one o'clock in the afternoon, 60 degrees during the rut. And you're like, I don't know, man. Like I've never killed a midday <laughs> cruiser before. And you look up on the hill and here he comes. And it's just like, no way, like no way. Yep. But where else? I always think about this like, a, as an adult, like in your life, like where else can you get that? Like, where else can you get something like this? Like there aren't very many places for that. And it's the same thing. Like when you talk about the the adrenaline dump you get, uh, after after doing what you did there in, in, in on that buck, it's like, how many things can you do? Like, how many freaking avenues does an adult man have to get that feeling? Like, they're not yeah. that many. Like, unless you want to really risk your life doing something, and we don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like I don't want a cage fight. I don't want to jump off of, like buildings with squirrel suits on. Like, there's only so many routes for a guy like me. And <laughs> I just I think it's amazing that we have that. Like, it's it, it's such a gift. It is, man. You're a hundred percent right, man. Like it's, uh, the, the, the instance of that happening, um, for us is really cool. And I think that what we, what we run into is, uh, like once you get out of college, you just like culturally here in America, we're expected to get a job. Right. And so, which I didn't do, um, I went touring and making no money and I'm still poor. And, uh, <laughs> You know, but I, I have good experiences, man. You know, like I get to do some awesome stuff. And um, I definitely am blessed with lots of opportunities and ha- and have a different situation. You know, I didn't, um, I can't even say, like, I'm not, uh, my situation is different. You know, like there was, there's people that they did have to get a job as soon as they got out of high school or whatever, because their whole, their whole family for generations has been broke, broke people, you know? And so like, I am truly blessed, man. Uh, not that I have like money in my family, but I, I did know that like, if something happened, that I had family members and people that would help me out, 
I didn't want that to happen. And luckily I never got to, I mean, I, I'll be honest, man, I've sat in my driveway at the first house that I, that I ever bought going, I can't pay the mortgage this month. And I'm literally in tears in my driveway, you know? And I'm like, I got to find a job. I got to do something. And I, I just, luckily I've made it through, man. You know, um, I wanted to, I wanted to always provide for myself, my family, you know, but, um, I did know that I had other family members that take care of me. So I just want to like clarify that it's like, you know, my situation is not as desperate as some people's in America. Right. But like as an American, generally we are expected to get a job. And when you get your job, like you said, we like the, uh, we kind of gravitate towards this whole, um, you know, if you have a nine to five and it pays for, you know, you live within your means then generally, as Americans, we like convenience, too. And it everything's pretty convenient, you know, other than maybe traffic when you're coming home from work. Like, you can go get fast food if you need to. You can go to the grocery store. We got clean water. We got a trash system that keeps all the trash out of the streets and out of the, you know, like, it's the best place in the world to live. And so um, we kind of get into this groove where, like, we like that. We like the convenience. We like a bed to sleep in at night, you know. And you're right, like, nothing really amazing happens when you just kind of do the same thing every day, typically. Um, and there's not many avenues for us to, to find that kind of adrenaline, unless you, like you said, you're, uh, you jump out of planes or you're a drug addict or something, maybe, I don't know, but like, that's, that would be the only, like, there's only a few things. And like, like you said, you don't want to risk your life. And pretty much, you know, if you're fairly safe going up into a tree, like you're pretty safe deer hunting, and you're actually doing something that gets you just so hot, man, that's fairly safe. It's it's cool, man. It's it's as good as it gets. So is it safe to say the Element Boys aren't driving around in Lamborghinis and using ivory back scratchers at home? No. We uh KC slept in the bed of his truck all week last week, you know. <laughs> and uh we've spent a lot of time my uh, my cameraman Eric actually um just sleeps on the ground in the tent when we go places. I I'm like, dude, I have an air mattress, you know. And he's like, no, I'll, I'll be all right. I got a comforter. I'm like, no, you, that's not okay. You know, it, you need to be on the same He's like, no, I'm good, man. Well, how old is he? He's uh, 31. Oh, he's he's too old for that shit. Oh, definitely, dude. <laughs> I'm I, was, I thought you were going to say like 20. Yeah, no, no. We had a 20-year-old last year, and um, I would say a 31-year-old just has a little more responsibility about himself typically, you know, generally speaking. Uh, and our, And Eric is just awesome, dude. But like. Yeah, he's very uh he doesn't need much, you know. And that's that's I mean to to really roll around with us, you kind of have to be that way a little bit. It's just um it's not always fun. There are moments that it's just like college football, man. Like you go out, I played, you know. I mean, I've told you that before. And you go out 12 to 14 times a year and have the coolest experience that you can have your nerves are going, it's like shooting a deer, right? You're like almost shaking before kickoff. You kind of get in the groove, but like there are thousands of people there and maybe even millions on TV, depending on if you're on ESPN or whatever. It's insane, dude, for like 13 days. And then there's 320 days outside of that, that you're literally like trying not to throw up because you're working out and you got homework, but you also have to do an hour and a half of uh, film study with your individual group. And, you know, what people don't see is that. And the same thing with music, right? Like, they don't see you drive eight hours from the night before to your next venue and set up for two hours 
sound check and all that and then go eat some crappy food and you know go into a dirty hotel room and get you know if you're lucky and get dressed and then you know what they see is the 90 minutes you're on stage having you know an awesome time and it looks like so glamorous but there are definitely moments the same thing in in traveling and hunting that i didn't want to go out the other day in colorado when it was eight degrees and the wind chill was you know zero or whatever but you know kind of kind of feel obligated to do we're spending money business money on tags and stuff you know and gas so kind of feel obligated to if i was hunting just for fun i might have missed that morning you know i might have just stayed in the you know i might have drove around and tried to you know scout deer from the truck but instead i got out on the ground and did some stuff you know so there there are things but i mean i, I literally can't complain because this is the dream job that i would have man like since i was nine years old i wanted to deer hunt and for a living i didn't know what i, I didn't know i'd be on youtube or whatever you know but i knew that like that was something i wanted to do and i you know it's a dream it literally is a dream you know yeah Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. When you bring up those three examples of uh, playing college football, playing in a band, being a musician, and then doing this, you know, creating hunting content, around specifically around public land whitetails what you're saying is you just kind of learned 
the things that take a lot of work are the things that are worth the most. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you said it without saying it. And I, I think that's the greatest message out there with this public land movement is by showing people that this can be done by you going and showing up in Illinois or Kansas or somewhere and killing a big one. You show people that this is, this is doable. Like, mm-hmm. like this is, this is something within your purview. Like this is in your grasp. Like you can do this and it inspires people to get out there. Like, I think, I think that that's, you know, the hunting public does a great job of that too. Like, I think it's really important for people to understand that whether, whether they actually aspire to be a public land killer or not, like you can see, even if you don't acknowledge it, you can see that like, there has to be some work here. Like you're, you're taking these people who are not, they're not writing huge checks to hunt somewhere. They're sleeping in freaking tents. They're hunting on over-the-counter tags or tags that you can draw. And they're just dedicated to the process and they're going to see it through to the end. And you do that enough and you kill good deer in places where you're technically not supposed to, or like where theoretically, like it should be really, really hard but it yeah. can be done. And we're seeing people show this all over the place. And I think, I think it's the same thing, like on a way smaller scale, you know, everybody loves dogs, right? Like people who don't love dogs are sociopaths. We, we don't want, we don't want to hang <laughs> It's the same thing as people who don't love music. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Anyway, when you, when you love hunting dogs, working dogs, everybody has the best dog. Everybody's dog is the best dog ever. Like we all own the the number one, you know, mm-hmm. but then you yeah. get around a dog that's been trained really, really well and has a good working relationship with its owner. And is like, is out there on that team thing. And it's, it's doing, it's doing its job in a way that you maybe have never seen before. You go, Whoa, like now I know what they're capable of. Like I, I had something awesome already. Now that I see this, I go, this could be even better but there's a lot of work there. Like there's a lot to build in to, to have that end result, but it's worth it. It's it's worth it. Not only for the end result, but how you feel through that process. And I literally don't think we have a better opportunity for that for a lot of us than just going out and challenging ourselves with deer. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent, man. That's a, you know, like you, you mentioned being dedicated to the process and that's like, that's a huge uh, point for people to think about here when it comes to this, because, um, I know for us, something Casey and I talk about a lot is that, um, like you said, everybody thinks they hunt the hardest place, but I've hunted a lot of States now. And I do know that East Texas, um, has been very difficult to hunt, um, for us. And, um, you know, one thing that we have is smaller deer. They make less sign. We see less rubs. We see less scrapes, the trails, are made by 140 pound deer instead of 240 pound deer, you know, like the sign is just less and the trails are less. And so like, I can remember when I first, um, started hunting with KC, he's like, say earlier, he's very observant. And so like, he helped me to really start to understand sign even better and like locate sign even better, really. Um, and so, but I can remember we, we started out hunting here locally and, he would go, oh, there's a trail right there. And I would be like, you know, I've been hunting Kansas or something. And I'm like, that's not a trail. I don't know what you're talking about. That's cr- you're crazy. And now I see it, you know, like I, I, several years later, I, I've been able to see what he's talking about. And, you know, there's, there's not a high population either. It's not high density. So there's just not a lot of signs. So what we've kind of noticed, we think at least, is that hunting here and kind of cutting our teeth on public land here has made us better hunters other places so like if you're listening and you're from 
you know, Florida or Alabama or something like that, where things are a little bit different or Louisiana or whatever, you know, that's uh, something that could kind of give you some confidence maybe is to know that like, this is a place that is tough to hunt. If I can learn to hunt here, then I can apply a lot of these things that deer generally do in other places and really start to figure things out pretty well in other places, you know, and part of the reason we traveled to Illinois or something like that, or Iowa is because there's, there's big deer and the signs a little bit easier to read. Now there are things like, you know, night sign and, you know, what sign is relevant, what sign is hot, you know, and stuff like that, that you start to have to, you run into issues with that when you go to Iowa and you're like, dude, there are scrapes and rubs everywhere. Like, what do I do with this? You know, it's too much. It's overload. But the thing that I, I do see is, is, you know, that we kind of, we kind of have that going for us. But I guess what I'm trying to track back to is the point where you said falling in love with the process or being dedicated to the process is very important because it took us a few years to kind of find our groove of hunting and filming and trying to find, you know, good close encounters where you kill deer. And I think we're seeing it pay off a little bit, you know, but um, a lot of guys, man, we get a ton of people that send us messages or whatever. And they're like, you know, uh, man, I just struggled so much this year. I haven't had hardly any, any good encounters. You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to kill a doe and I can't even kill a doe, you know? And I think that, um, what we're seeing is there's a lot of accessibility in this hunting, this public hunting movement. Um, so guys, um, are getting, well, and also through the coronavirus stuff, like we've seen this kind of, a lot of people talk about like maybe a hipster movement or something like that, where people are starting to get into hunting for the first time. And we have, you know, Eric, our cameraman, he's only been hunting a couple of years. And another one of our uh, cameraman producer kind of guys that works with us as well named Chris, I mean, he wears black skinny jeans into the woods. I mean, that is what he wears. So, and literally he wore the little, like, they're like boots, but they're like that tall as for people who can't hear me. It's like four or see me. It's like four inches, you know, like it's the hipster boot, you know, that's what he wears into the woods. And he's a fairly new hunter. You know, he grew up in the Dallas metro area and didn't hunt. And, you know, his dad's an accountant. And, you know, that that's the life you live until the last couple of years. And you find this, like, sustainability movement, right? And so what I think people are getting maybe a little uh, – what could be confusing to them is it, and it does look easy. Like you said, sometimes we, we have these highlight reels that look easy, right? But it's not. It's not easy. And if you – I've been hunting since I was – you know, tiny and KC has too, dude, KC probably started hunting before I did. And, um, he's a year younger. So we're, you know, we probably have, you know, 50 years of combined experience between us. And like I said, in the beginning, we're bouncing 50 years of experience off of each other the whole time. And if you're kind of a hipster dude, that's, uh, been hunting for two years now, you just can't expect that you're going to have a whole lot of success, you know? So just like fall in love with the process of learning how, to, how to get encounters, how to get closer to deer, what sign means and stuff, and learn from these people. Learn from Tony, you know, learn from you, man. Learn from uh, Mark and some of the people there at Meat Eater and learn from uh, the hunt public and learn, you know, hopefully from us. We try to put a lot of content out there that teaches people how to read maps and uh, how to, what we see when we go boot scouting and stuff, you know. So uh, just dive into that and, and understand that there may be some moments – uh, early on that you are very bored in the stand and things are not going your way, but it just, it takes that to get through it and you have to be dedicated to the process. Like you said. Yeah. Let's, let's clear this up. You don't have to, we're not against hipsters here. <laughs> you can, no. 
love you, Chris. I love him, man. Yeah. I, I don't want to offend anybody in Bozeman specifically with this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but he, here's the thing about what you just said. I And, and I, I see this a lot. I think there's two things that the hunting industry did very poorly that we're still suffering from today. And we may suffer from until hunting is freaking gone. One is we made it look too easy to kill big bucks. We set a a unrealistic standard. That's just stupid. It's, it's like, you could probably compare it to like, you know, I know we don't watch network television a ton now, like, but you know, when you were growing up, when I was growing up, there were sitcoms on and there'd be like this fat dad bod dude with a supermodel wife every time. Like, it's not real. Like what you're seeing yeah. that, sh- that doesn't exist. Like, unless that dude started Microsoft or something doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we did that and we're still suffering from it today. We're suffering from it maybe more than ever now that, cause we have social media and we can see every 200 inch buck that's ever killed ever. And the other thing is we convince people they can look at bucks and age them. So everybody thinks that they can just read a buck on the hoof and go, that one's two and a half, that one's four and a half. It's, I'm yeah. telling you, we cannot do that. And the people who think they can are lying to themselves. This is not an easy thing to do. Wildlife biologists cannot do it. Some random yeah. dude who's killed three bucks definitely can't do it. But the problem yeah. here is with those two things, and now we have this public land movement, people go, well, I'm going to go out and do that. And I know that you see this a lot and I see this too. I think the thing holding a lot of people back is their expectations. Their standards are way too high for their experience level. And I don't want to sound like a dick there because I don't mean it that way. But like you wouldn't, like if, if you and I got together and play guitar, people would be like, Tyler's a lot better than Tony. <laughs> like I wouldn't show up and expect to play like you can't because I know I cannot. Like, I just know, even though we, we maybe have been playing the same amount of time, I guarantee you, you've put in so much more to that pursuit than I have without question. So if I showed up and I was like, I'm going to be like him, it wouldn't happen. When you're talking about hunting, like maybe you have hunted 30 years, but is it three weekends a season or is it, are you living in a tent for 40 days and hunting public land and challenge? Like there's a big, like it, it varies a lot. And I see a lot of people bring in somebody else's standards to this. And, you know, I know this happens to you all the time. It happens to me too, where people reach out and be like, I'm hunting this shooter and I got pictures of him on this public land, but I haven't seen him yet. And I'm really frustrated. And here's my stand. What do I do? And it's like a screen. I'm like, what do you expect me to do with this, man? Like, (laughs) I don't, I can't stand that stuff because I can't, I can't help you. You know, like there's way too much missing here. And I always, I always get this vibe, not always, but. 93% 93% of the time, I'm like, you probably shouldn't be just targeting that caliber of buck yet. Like, you don't seem like you're there yet. And I know, like, it's a hard thing for us guys specifically to do. You do see women in the industry doing it now, too. But, man, like, recognizing that, okay, well, maybe on grandma's farm, I can hold out for 140s. But if I travel out of state and I'm and I'm hunting public land for the first time and I can't go climb into my ladder stand on my food plot, that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Like you go yeah. buy that saddle and you want to go, go mobile wherever, like, okay, but you're not at the same level you were at home. Yeah. Like you, yeah. and I, I yeah. think that, that we're like, we're, that's danger ground there. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't even thought about the age thing, man. That's, that's definitely something. Um, so there are some forums, I'm not going to name them. Um, and then some Facebook groups that I'm a part of, um, just, I'll say they're Texas based groups. And, you know, this is where 
quality deer management started here in Texas, right? So, dude, the the number one post in November that you'll see is a picture of a buck and it'll say age and score. And it is, it is, oh, it's comical, dude. I mean, it literally, because for one, we, you know, Texas, it takes you 15 hours to drive across Texas. So you're talking about some deer can weigh 250 and then there's deer that are, you know, if they weigh 150, that's a nice size buck, you know, in certain parts of Texas. So, you know, who even knows who this guy's hunting, you know, no telling what the age of this deer is. He could be three or he could be seven, you know, there's no telling. And so I hadn't really thought about that as being an issue, but I'd have thought about what you said about the expectations thing. And we talk about it a lot on our podcast. Um, and I'll be frank, when we go to South Dakota, I am, I am all about shooting a one and a half year old buck. If that's it, like, it's just, it's dude, there's so many deer there, you know, and I wouldn't say like, it's maybe the biggest buck state or whatever. There's nice bucks there too. We saw a giant, uh, come through camp when we were there this year, but like, I'm going there to have a good time in the early season when it's nice weather. And frankly, dude, if I can shoot like a six or eight point buck and then go shoot sharp tails or pheasant, I would be, cause you, I mean, I've told you this before. I love deer hunting so much, but I think I like shooting a shotgun better than I like deer hunting probably. Like I, and, and that, that would be like, you know, clay targets are fun, but at any, any winged animal, I love shooting a shotgun. And it's one of my things that I grew up doing nonstop in high school. And I, I feel like, probably do better than i do anything else is shoot a shotgun and so it's so much fun dude i love i love shooting birds i love that surprise we were talking about earlier when a bird gets out of the grass man and um it's just the best so like when i go to south dakota i'm trying to shoot a small buck i've been hunting 25 years and like i shot a one probably one and a half year old eight point last year and was stoked dude i'm talking it's you know and that's that's where setting your expectations is key you know i mean i i don't go to kansas or um you know i was in colorado last week and i don't go there thinking i'm gonna shoot a one and a half year old deer i'm absolutely not going to do that that's that's just what i've chosen to do but you gotta set your expectations based off of either your experience or um your experience level or like um the place that you are you know i think so it's definitely key and you know the one thing about that too Cause I'll shoot a little one all day long in a lot of different places. I, I got a mm-hmm. spread, man. <laughs> and dude, I love it. You'll send, you'll send me pictures all the time, but like, you know, not, not huge deer. And I can just tell you're so proud of it. You know, and it has to do with that work that you put in, you know, and like what, you, what, you, when it came down to when you made the decision, you know, and I'm like, dude, that's, you can just tell, dude, you're just happy when you send those pictures, you know? Well, and I am. And it, the the thing that I, I know people don't believe this, but I don't have like a place where I could just go hunt and kill does. All right. Like I don't have like a guaranteed place to go shoot deer. Like I have, I have private properties I can hunt. I have lots of public land I go hunt, but I got, I've got limited amount of time. And I love the experience of traveling and hunting public land. So that's, that's most of my hunting. And, you know, you know how it is. Like sometimes you go into a state and you're like, you know, like it's the right time. I got three in the freezer already. Like I'm, I'm going to be picky. Sometimes you just go in hungry. Sometimes yeah. you go and you're like, this is going to be awesome. And for whatever reason, it sucks. 
every day and you yeah. can't get on anything. And then you have one start walking in that you, you know, previous to the hunt, you're like, there's no way I would shoot that. And then you get into a real hunting situation and that deer starts walking in. You're like, I want to kill that buck bad. Yeah. And I, I love, you know, and I have a lot of respect for people who can go out and just like stick to their guns. I'm not like that. Like I'm, I'm an in the moment kind of guy. And I just like, I just learned over time. Like I, if I don't end the season with a bunch of deer in the freezer, I feel like I a failure. Like I don't like mm-hmm. that. Like I, I would rather have that than anything else at this point in my life. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, man, like, you know, you go to a state like South Dakota, if you can go crawl around and stalk bucks, that's mm-hmm. like, what's more fun. <laughs> Yeah, you know, oh, and, and you know, what's not fun is going in with that mentality. This happens to a lot of first time mule deer hunters is they go, I just want to go glass up a good, you know, 140, 150, 160 and, you know, stalk them. And I'm like, okay, if you're on an over the counter tag on public land, you might, you might get a chance. Like you, you can find big mule deer if you know what you're doing, but the odds of you making good on that one stock that week are almost yep. zero. And you might spend a ton of time on the glass or driving around, not really hunting because you think that this is where it's got to be. And like, Hey, you do you, but when you, you know how it is, when you go out and do this stuff, like I want to hunt, like I want to yeah. go out there and be with them. And I want to get my chance to try to time my draw and make my shot and see if I can do this shit right. And you got to do the whole process to get there. Yeah. That's like, um, uh with antelope like i don't know what a big antelope is or whatever you know like they all look big to me so we'll be driving down the road and i'm like man i gotta do that someday you know i gotta try to try to do that and i have a few points i think i got a point in wyoming you know but like i uh i've always said that like when it comes to antelope especially but even i think about this with like deer and elk as well because i feel like when I'm elk hunting, I feel like I'm in the in the middle of the day. I feel like I'm just walking around the woods, just being so unproductive, you know. Yep. Like I'm not hunting anything, you know. Like I feel like I'm not hunting is what I feel like. I feel like I'm just in the mountains being a, a hipster, to to say the least. Uh, <laughs> Wearing your skinny like, jeans. That's right. Uh, but so I I but I I've always said this about antelope. I'm like, man, I don't really care to kill a big one. I just want to make sure I'm scouting or uh, stalking antelope all day. You know what I mean? I just want to. If I bust one, I want to be able to like go down the road, regroup, get something to eat, and find some more to stalk. And I just want to go where there's a bunch of them. And I that's the just what you're saying is like, I want to be hunting. I want to feel like I'm in the game. I don't like walking around in the thick timber of Colorado, not knowing what's going on for days on end. You know, so yeah. that's that's a struggle for me. And that's why I like, that's why I don't do many all day sits. And I actually did one. I did my first one in a long time, maybe. Maybe I don't know if I did an all day last year, but I did one um, in Colorado last week. And uh, the magical thing of uh, deer cruising through in the middle of the day did not happen. And uh, <laughs> so it was it was pretty boring. But like I I um, I'm more of the type that'll like find a way. I'll be sitting in the stand in the morning, late morning, and instead of doing an all day hunt, I would rather just like come up with a a good plan on my map. And think, oh, deer are going to do this this afternoon, so let's go move the stands. And I'd rather just break the whole thing down and go find. I mean, even if I got to move a hundred yards or whatever, at least I did something in the middle of the day, gave me something to do, and I'm I feel like I'm hunting instead of just sitting there waiting on things to happen, you know. Yeah. So, but at the same time, like I can wait in a stand. I'm not the guy that has to be on the ground all the time. Like some of these guys, they, you know, they don't like hunting in tree stands. But you know, I I try to have some patience, but. 
the all day thing is not my favorite. That's for sure. It's, it's tough. I mean, you got to have some mm. confidence, man, like real confidence. Yeah. And you got to, you know, you got to recognize like, uh, all right, do I believe in this? Cause it's, I think it's going to happen or do I just not want to go to a plan B and it's hard, yeah. man. Or, you know, or to not talk yourself out of just going into town for lunch. Like I struggled with that with all day sits for a long, long time. Actually, what got me over the hump was dedicating myself to killing like public land long beards with a bow where you're just like, it's such a pain in the ass to move a blind and decoys and your chair and all your stuff. Like if you're, if you're bow hunting turkeys without, you know, if you're not doing the ghillie suit thing or whatever, like it's a freaking gear intensive, you know, it's, it sucks a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you better really find a good spot and ride it out. And when you do like dark to dark sits for turkeys, <laughs> you know, on those days in the spring, it's like, man, yeah. sitting in a tree stand for whitetails for 11 hours versus like 16 hours for turkeys. Yeah. It's not so bad, but it takes, it takes the right mindset and it takes, you know, you, you got to be really confident to know when you should actually be pulling the plug. And it's, mm -hmm. it's like, that's a learned thing, you know, and, and yeah. you have to learn yourself, right? Like you said, if it's something that's really not your thing, like it, if you learn that, okay, don't do it then. Like, but yeah. learn how to be out there and keep your time productive. Cause that's, yeah, that's important. Yeah. That's, that, oh, you're exactly right. Like there are people like, if you, you know, the white tail drilling guys, like those guys, they do it a certain way, you know, and that lends itself to guys who have done it that way and had success. But that way that they do it is it does not lend itself to guys that don't, haven't done it. Like if you haven't done it that way, then, and you want to, you better be dedicated to the process. Like we said earlier, you know, cause it's, it's tough to kill deer from the ground on public land, you know, all the time with a longbow or whatever. Like, and so like all the stipulations you put on yourself, you know, are challenges that you can give yourself, but they're also, there are also ways to either have more fun or just, you know, especially if you're kind of a newer hunter or something to lend yourself to something that fits your style a little better, you know? And so everybody has a different style and there are guys like I got a, we got a friend that is a killer, man. He's, he kills a deer on public in East Texas. Like, I mean, every year, pretty much good deer. And he's he's like the type that's like if the wind changes direction just look just turn around and look into the wind you know he's like he will sit there you know in the same spot and ride it out and kills a buck like a good buck every year man i mean he's better hunter than me i would i would say and he just that's the way he does it and and i don't i cannot do that you know um right now at least so and maybe maybe that's me being you know, naive or inexperienced or whatever, but I just feel like, you know, there are definite like styles that people have or characteristics and person personality traits that people have that lend themselves to a certain style. And so you just kind of got to, got to figure out what that is. And like I said earlier, it's not always fun, but, um, you know, if you, if you, it you got to balance like success and fun. And so like how much success do you really, are you hard after? you probably should have a little less fun. And if you want to have the most fun, you may not have quite as much success, but it's okay. Like have yep. fun. You know what I mean? So if that's what your goal is, then, then do it, you know? So th those things kind of work inversely, I think a little bit sometimes. Yeah. And it, you, you make a really interesting point, point there about the, you know, 
you take the white tail adrenaline guy style or maybe a Dan Infault style and you know, you talk about your own style, you've got enough experience in this to know this is what I like doing. This is probably what I'm going to do. And this is like, this is what's going to make me the happiest mm-hmm. that that's like no small thing. So when people are trying to emulate somebody else's style, that's a good thing to try. Like go try to be <laughs> Zach Farenbaugh if you want, go ahead. Might be your thing. It might not, but the more stuff you try, like your, your example with the, the stalking antelope, like if you want to prove yourself like a real bow hunter, <laughs> go shoot a bunch of uh, public land antelope with your bow spot and stock. Don't do it out of a blind. Don't do it with a decoy. Yeah. Just go show me that you can go sneak up on those suckers. You'll learn a lot about mm-hmm. yourself. You'll learn mm-hmm. what you're capable of patience wise, you know, planning a stock wise hunt wise. Like you'll learn on day three, four, like if this is still your thing or not, you know, there's, there's a lot to that. But when you start, you start getting more experiences like that. You start finding out like, this is what I really like. And this is what I don't like. And I'm telling you, instead of just leaning into what's easy, if you lean into what you like, you'll work harder at it and you'll kill more deer. And so you yeah, take, you know, point. your, your examples with the white tail adrenaline guys, they're, they're doing what they're good at. They've, mm-hmm. they've like honed a skill like Dan Infall hunting, you know, buck beds. He's honed mm-hmm. that skill over, you know, decades that's important to acknowledge like you could go out and try that you might be successful you might not but it might be like the most amazing thing to you or you might go i don't like this i don't want to go walk through the swamps and scout for these beds i want to go do something else and when you learn that about yourself you even though you'll be going away from a successful strategy for some people you'll be finding something that's better for you and man you like you want to crash course in this stuff go go figure out a way to hunt new places like now and i'm not even talking just necessarily out of state like your your point about east texas is such a good one right like you're talking about how hard it is and then you got a guy out there who's going to kill big ones like what's his secret like what's he doing and then like you think about somebody in florida or so like you mentioned louisiana you know west, northern wisconsin you can find places close to you that are going to be different than what you're used to and it, it's going to be shitty at first like it's not going to be as much fun, but if you start the scouting process and you start the process of figuring this stuff out, it'll probably get fun and it'll probably show you ways where you can enjoy the work and the discipline and the and the process much more, even though it might not seem that appealing. Like I just just as an example, I'm I'm like obsessed with northern Wisconsin because it kicks my ass. I hate it. I I, I love it and I <laughs> hate it, right? Like it's I got a weird relationship with that place. Like I, yeah. I'm going to kill big ones there at some point and I spend more time scouting there in the winter. And it's like become this thing that just drives me. Like, I don't feel good at this stuff when I'm there and I don't like that feeling, <laughs> but I love the process of just being like, okay, well, I know it's going to be different this year. Cause there's going to be, you know, a new wolf pack somewhere. There's going to be a new four wheeler trail somewhere. There's going to be something going on that changes things for me and I have to start older over, but it teaches me like that even though you kind of like outwardly hate this, like you keep coming back for a reason. Like, it's like, I have a bad relationship, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, this, yeah. my partner sucks, but I'm just, I'm going to keep giving it another shot. And yeah. it, you just, you learn about yourself that way. And like you said before, if you go do that stuff, like when you guys are hunting East Texas, 
man, I bet it's pretty easy to go appreciate South Dakota. <laughs> like, I, get, I bet it's pretty easy to appreciate a lease in freaking Kansas after you're hunting that stuff. That's important. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, that's, and that's, uh, you make a good, really some really good points, but like there are, um, you know, it, like I said, pretty much everywhere you can find something new pretty close to you. So, I mean, for us, I think about, we're about 70 miles east of Dallas right here. And <clears throat> so if we were to hunt like real close to home, um, we have a certain type of habitat. It's post oak, you know, uh, old prairie or whatever. And if we go basically from here, if we go like 20 miles to the west, we start turning into uh, a little bit more black soil um, and shorter trees, less less oaks, more uh, locust trees, hackberries, stuff like that. And then you work into Dallas, and there's obviously this massive concrete jungle there. And when you get around that, it's mesquite trees and it's uh, more red dirt and stuff like that. And so, like that's two hours from us, you know. If you go to the east. 20 miles, we've got pine trees and it's the start of literally the South. You know what I mean? It's pine tree country. And, um, I think that that, uh, kind of thing happens all over America. I would assume maybe not necessarily 20 miles, but you know, you could drive an hour and find bluffs or find uh, flat farmland or, you know, find a river bottom country or whatever, you know? And so, um, it doesn't, it don't have to, you don't have to go from Texas to South Dakota to challenge yourself with a new, type of deal and to give yourself an opportunity to find out what you enjoy the most, you know, and you can take that stuff and relate it across the country. So if you end up like for us, if we end up like finding success in the river bottoms and really enjoying that here in East Texas, I mean, I can go a lot of places and find river bottom type habitat. You know, I mean, it's, it's weird, but like Iowa kind of looks like where we live. It's, you know, it's just a little bit bigger Oaks. Um, and you know, lots of creeks and draws and stuff, you know? And so, um, you can kind of take that and go across the country. And also one thing that KC always talks about is that, you know, he says deer do deer things. And so like there are characteristics and, and habits that deer have that are those characteristics and habits because they're deer, not because of where they live. And so you take those and apply them across the country. And we try to do that. That's I think been a big uh, kind of breakthrough of mine just to help me with finding success and take, take those things and go and understand, you know, for instance, just quick little example. If you're following a fence and uh, the top string uh, sags down in one little section of that fence, a deer, the deer are going across there. If that's the only, if that's the lowest by six inch, six inches place in a 300 yard stretch or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's fairly simple. Um, it sounds like, you know, whatever, but those are the things that you can carry that you find out um, while you're hunting that you can carry across the country and use to your advantage, you know? Man, that that's such a good point. And one of the things I would say on that is not only do you, do you learn that's 100% true when you go hunt a lot of different stuff, you see the similarities. You also realize that we carry a lot of baggage with us that's not true about our deer. And yeah. I'll, I'll use this as an example. It, my One of my really good buddies, I met him tournament fishing. We hunt together a lot. He's a great guy. And I I took one of my daughters to Lake Mille Lacs here in Minnesota. Mille Lacs is like world renowned for smallmouth, right? It's 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 incredible. It gets a lot of pressure, crystal clear, but the, the bass are freaking awesome. 
and it was supposed to be dead calm, which is the reason I went there because it's this huge 20 mile wide bowl. And if it's windy, it sucks bad. Sucks way too much for my boat. Well, we got (laughs) there and it was really windy right at sunrise. And I'm like, man, like we're going to go just try this anyway. And I got out there and it was one of those things where I was like having trouble controlling my boat with the, the trolling motor. And so I'm standing on that and I grabbed a rod that had a swimming jig on it and threw it out there and caught a smallmouth right away, totally by accident. And so I started throwing that and they were just on this wind beaten shore. They were eating something that looks like a moving minnow or a crayfish. Like in, yeah. in my head, I'm like, this is Malax. You got to throw little stuff and floral line and you got to do these, these Malaxy things. And I was talking to my buddy about it. He's like, what'd you catch them on today? I'm like, I caught them on a topwater and I caught them on a swimming jig, just like I do on the Mississippi River and all these other lakes. And he's like, you caught Malax smallmouth on a swimming jig? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I guess they're just smallmouth. Like I, but in in my <laughs> head, you know, I'm like, these these fish need something different. And it, you know, you see this with, you hear this a lot with like southern turkeys or whitetails and certainly, you know, like southern turkeys and example. Like, well, you're never going to call in an Alabama turkey. Like, mm-hmm. well, they're turkeys, right? Like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you sure you're yeah. going to st- stick to that statement? Like, well, but we bring in this stuff and the more you travel and the more you hunt different spots, you realize like, okay, some of these things I've been led to believe they're not doing me any good. They're holding me back. And, yeah. you know, if you take Casey's mindset and you go, yeah, deer do what deer do. Okay. Well, deer lay down where deer lay down. They walk where they walk. They eat where they eat. They try to have sex where they try to have sex. Like you take these mm-hmm. things and you go, okay. This is this is ubiquitous, man. This goes from East Texas up to Canada and wherever else. And you can use those things. Like you can use all that yeah. stuff to make a good plan. And anything you bring with you that's like, well, the deer don't do this, or they're not going to move on a full moon, or they're not going to do this, that's holding you back. And we, I think we got to be real careful about that stuff. Oh, yeah, man, for sure. That's a, uh, you know, like we see, uh, we, we went, we did some, uh, we do this series called Map Scout Challenge where we, um, uh, we started out getting spots from people. They would send us a spot that they would never go see and that they wanted to see. And so we said, we'll go video it and show you what's there, you know, whatever. So we went to Michigan this past summer and did a video up there. And, you know, you, of course you got, you got the, you know, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of, uh, truth to this, but the Michigan people are definitely the types that think that their deer hunting is the hardest in the world, you know? So, uh, sorry, Mark, if you're listening, uh, but they do, you know? And so like we, you know, we, we went up there and hung a camera on public land and found like some good bucks. We had a buck the first night that like, you know, nice solid eight or whatever, probably uh, 130 plus inch 10 point on there at some point, like good deer, you know? And literally, this is 60 yards off the road. I mean, so it's so close to the road. Like we were so happy because they were like, yes, we're getting rid of some of these stereotypes for Michigan people. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we're, it's all in good fun. But like there were guys that were definitely like, oh, but you could never kill them. You got to be 30 foot high, you know, and this and that. And they're always looking up, you know, and these things that people, like you said, they get into their minds, you know, and, um, <clears throat> you know, think that, oh, those deer look up, you know, it's like, man, not really. It's something in that habitat or something that allows them to see better into the trees or, you know, whatever. It's not deer don't walk around looking up. You know what I mean? They just don't. That's, that's not what they do. I mean, they there there are places in the country that get more pressure um, for sure. But, dude, how many times has that deer actually 
been in close range of a, a human, seen it, and had to run off. Um, probably not like a ton. And does it even associate that with a true danger, you know, or is it just an instinctual thing that a deer does when it sees something move that's an object that doesn't look like a deer? You know what I mean? I mean I've seen deer run away from cows, you know. The cow's not going to harm a deer. So, you know, that like you're you're nailing it for sure, man. It's It's like we have to kind of – have that open mind like we talked about earlier when we're talking about hunting with a partner right you got to have an open mind and understand that you don't know everything but there are things that you can know about deer like you said they do they they breed in a certain area or a certain way a certain time of year and um, there are biological things that we can think about when it comes to that also uh, the fact that they there's only so much cold weather a deer can take doesn't matter where it is but it is relative right you know i mean i I skinned out my buck from here at home last year and it felt like I was skinning a rabbit compared to the other deer I'd shot that year. Cause I shot an Illinois bug and a South Dakota buck, you know, and it, it just has thinner skin, but you know, those, those cold temps are relative. So like, what's the average temp in your area? Well, if it's below average temps that week, you know, that deer's going to be moving more. It's going to eat food more, um, to keep it warm, you know? And so those are things that you can know. And most of them I would say probably have to do with like the biology of a deer. So, you know, it's good to get to know, like, how do deer see, what is their vision? Like, you know, talk to Carl Miller about that one time on our podcast Mm -hmm. and you know, uh, how does a deer, um, you know, like what, what time, what's the peak breeding, you know? And, and is that, you know, for a lot of guys, like, what is that? How does that compare to the peak movement? And, these things you know and so and then it gets finer and finer detailed like we talked about earlier but you can always take across the country the fact that deer like to go um in fairly straight lines when they go places you know and they're going to take easy paths um when they can do that um like i said they're gonna they're the cold factor is something you know the time of year when it comes to you know um breeding and stuff like that like you mentioned so all those things really um biological things you can kind of carry across the country, man. It's a white tailed deer, you know? Yeah. Well, and I was, I want to back up a second. When you, when you talk about deer looking up, we, you know, one of the things that I noticed when I started hunting out West, they, they didn't look up. Like it was, it was amazing. I was like, these things are stupid. Like it, I'm yeah. 10 feet up in a little tree. And then, you know, like where, where I hunt Northern Wisconsin, they look up a lot. And mm-hmm. I think it's just a pressure thing, but we have to be yeah. really careful and, you know, if you say like, well, you can't kill them on a tree, they're going to see every time. Like, no, you can, it's not like an infallible thing. Like they, you can kill these deer. And so I, I always look at this, like, I almost expect to get busted over there in Wisconsin. If I haven't done a really good job of facing away from where I expect them to come. And if I haven't really, really done a good job, I'm probably yeah. in a little bit of trouble but I still kill a fair amount of deer that bust me drawn and it's too late for them. And so we kind of use this stuff as an excuse to not do it. Right. Like to not get in a tree or, you know, like if you think, well, I got to get in 30 feet in a tree, otherwise I'm going to get busted. Like, man, I bet there's another answer to that. Like, I bet that's not the only way to beat them. And okay. So can you sit on the ground and build a natural ground blind and, you know, draw as you're coming up on your knees. There's, there's ways around this stuff, but the things we believe as like always and never, you know, we've heard that a lot, like that holds us back and you kind of, you kind of just shatter those things. The more you go spend time out there looking for new opportunities. Cause you go, man, 
in my head, I was like, there's no way I'm going to kill a big buck this way. And like, I like, uh, just as an example, you know, I, I've, I've killed a fair amount of deer from the ground, but the first, when I first dedicated myself to, I'm like, I'm going to go kill a public land buck. I'm going to kill a big one. I went out to North Dakota and I was like, I'm going to get in a tree stand on the river. I'm going to shoot one when he walks by. And the, the buck that I had most pattern from scouting, I went in there and the trees that I was going to sit in were like 15 times too big. They were these giant cottonwoods, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh shit, like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, I'm just going to sit on the ground behind this tree and shoot mm-hmm. him when he walks past. And that's what I did. And I was like, this is stupid. Like, this is, yeah. this is not, I, you know, there were times of like moments of like pure panic. Cause I'm like, I know these bucks are going to come down here and cross and there's no way I can get up there where I would normally do this. What do you do? And it's like, I don't know. They can't see through trees and he's still going to be 20 yards away. Like just there, mm-hmm. there are other answers to these problems, but we kind of get it yes. in our head. Like we have to do this or our deer are always going to do that. Or there's no way this is going to work. And the more experience you get out there, the more you realize like there's a lot of gray area going on here. Like there's a lot of things we can get away with. Yeah. That's, and I, I should have probably been more clear. Like, we, we get picked off a lot in East Texas. So, you know, as opposed to, you know, Kansas or whatever, South Dakota, you know, like we get picked off in East Texas a lot. And so I think that's the point to make is that it's, it's, if it's pressure dependent, you know, um, you know, kind of how high strung are those deer, you know, how late in the season is it? And those, those are kind of factors that you have to think about. Um, but like you said, like, you, you got to be creative and you got to think of some way to get around that. You know, it's, uh, um, in Colorado this past week, um, I, I, I kind of worked in over the course of a few days, we were hunting really far back. So it was, it was tough. It was a tough hunt and we were hunting in this area. I started to really narrow down where I needed to be, but, um, the deer were on this Creek system and the trees i wanted i like killing deer out of trees because i just think i just think i could see better i can figure out what they're doing better from a tree because i can see them at 200 yards doing this and go oh i need to move over there if i was from the ground i might not even see a deer that that evening or whatever so like i learn from the tree usually and so and i like to kill them because i feel like i can get drawn better from trees and without getting seen in most cases and so we were starting to narrow narrow down to like where we actually need to be which tree we actually need to be in and uh the closest trail that i thought was well so like basically on the south side of me was where i thought the majority of the deer movement would be but i did have trails on the north side of me but they were you know all within 30 yards they were close and i thought the better trails were going to be on the south side and they were but the closest one was 45 yards. And I was like, oh, I just do not want to take that shot. You know, it's just it's so far. And so, but I was prepping myself mentally for like what that looks like. I don't want to shoot a deer. It's on edge at 45. Like he needs to be calm and smelling, you know, smelling something on that trail or whatever. And so I'm just kind of working through all this thing and thinking like, how can I, how can I make this work better? And um, you start to like, really what it came down to is I, I, I went in there with this, idea that the wind needed to be a certain direction for me to hunt that tree and really figured out that it was kind of the opposite direction that worked best for for the situation because um i was able to blow my wind like i was able to get shots on deer um downwind of me before they got to my wind whereas 
I was just thinking I didn't want to blow it on those trails at all. And so, you know, long story short, like sometimes you have to, like you said, keep your mind open, think about things as you go in, try to narrow down into the deers, you know, as a bow hunter, you got to try to narrow down into, you know, the deer's lap pretty much. And then, you know, once you get to the spot where you think you can encounter deer, like, how do you, how do you, like, what can you create that can get you drawn? You know what I mean? How can you get drawn? That's the moment of truth. It, it almost always boils down to, I mean, if you're, if you're hunting and you're a pretty decent hunter, it really just always almost seems to boil down to like, can you get drawn without getting seen? And, um, I, we have to be creative a lot because I have to hang two stands a lot of times, you know, for one for the cameraman as well. And so like we get, sometimes we hunt in some pretty small trees and I'm like, okay, where do I put that platform? Like, how do I, what side of the tree, you know, like how do I keep my broad heads from, from beating right in his face while it's sitting there hanging on the tree or whatever, you know, and all these things. So, um, we spend a lot of time doing that, but you're, you're hundred percent right. Like when it comes down to, to, uh, getting drawn, there's a way you just have to figure it out, you know, and it's, sometimes it's using a big tree from the ground or whatever it might be. And we, we did a lot of different things. We hunted from the ground while we we're out there and almost killed a deer from the ground. So, you know, the being open minded is big, big key, man. Yeah. When you, when you have another person with you, you really <laughs> figure out, you, well, you figure out a couple of things. Like you figure out the best way to do stuff because you have to, cause it's way harder and you figure out where you're just willing to make some concessions, you know? And I, I yeah. did that, you know, filming for this one week in November series, man, I, it was a good reminder of why I hadn't filmed for a long time because yeah. it's just, it's just tough, but it forces you to think like, okay, if I'm here for my best shot, where do I put him to not get me busted or like it's, it takes a lot of consideration and you realize like when, right, let me tell you this story. So when my cameraman for that shoot showed up, the backpack he had to bring for our hunt, you could have put like a pretty decent sized adult man's body in there. I think (laughs) I looked at that pack and I was like, is that like your luggage? And he's like, no, this is my camera pack. And it was black. So I'm like, and so, and I was like, man, we're sitting all day. And he's like, yeah, I brought my sheep hunting pants. Well, they're like puffy. And I was like, bro, we're not rifle hunting here, man. We're (laughs) this is close range stuff. And so you just go, I, I, I was positive. I talked to my buddy, Eric about this. I was like, that pack is going to get us busted. I don't know how many times, but it's going to happen. And I don't know if it actually did. And I was confident of it. And what it, what I realized is like, okay, we had some pretty good setups, obviously, but I was probably giving the deer a little bit too much credit. Like I was probably mm-hmm. like, man, this is there, you know, cause you get so cautious with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, I would never bring that into a tree. Like if you show that to me, I would be like, you couldn't pay me to hunt with that. Yeah. And so, and, and I have my mind made up, like that's going to cost us. And I don't know if it actually ever did. I know having a cameraman with me cost me a couple opportunities, but it was like just run of the mill stuff that happens filming. It wasn't because of that. And it kind of was like, I was kind of like, man, I, I got that one wrong. Like <laughs> I was, yeah. I was sure that sucker was going to cost us. And I don't think it did, but yeah. you know, it's just, it's one of those things. Like, again, I brought something to the table as far as like maybe giving the deer a little bit too much credit and, you know, would that have held me back any other way? I don't know, but it's a, it's yeah. a teachable moment regardless. Cause you, cause yeah, you're wrong. Like I was wrong. 
That's right. And, and, and like KC loves, he KC is really specific. Like, and this is good. He always tries to think about what he says and, and what it actually means. Because in the South, we have all these sayings. And sometimes I think they might be called idioms or something. But like, you know, like they had these sayings and, um, you know, people have said them for generations. And now, like people say them without even thinking, what does that actually mean? You know, and like some there are sayings that like people, you know, don't really understand that, like, you know, this is actually a dirty saying and I'm saying this to my preacher or something, you know, or like, you know, it just, you hadn't thought about that. That's the way it was originally intended or whatever, you know, it's just become this thing that you say in a certain situation. And he's really, uh, really specific about, you know, saying things correctly. And so, um, like one of the sayings that you see on social media a lot is, um, the game of cat and mouse when talking about a deer and he's like, it's not the way it happens. It's not cat and ma- the deer is, you know, or or another one is the deer outsmarted me. And KC would rather you say that the deer is smarter than you, but he didn't outsmart you. Like, you know, so um, <laughs> like, but with the cat and mouse thing, he's like, you know, the, the cat and mouse thing is like the Tom and Jerry idea that like the mouse is, is uh, you know, actively um, almost like venge- like with vengefulness coming you know, like coming at the cat or whatever and like staying at, keeping from getting killed by the cat where the deer in most cases doesn't have a clue that he's being hunted, right? Like even, even when a deer um, is wise to a hunter that is hunting it in, in any random moment, he doesn't know that he's being hunted. He's instinctual. And so when he smells something or like if he, like he's habitual too. So like, if he smelled something in a certain area when he came in last time, when he goes back to that area later on, he's going to, he may circle downwind or J hook or whatever they call it, you know, to try to catch that thing. But it's only because it's only, it's very instinctual. Like you said, you, you can give the deer too much credit and be and the cat and mouse thing drives him crazy because he thinks it's, you know, not that you want to discredit the, the, the deer. Cause we love the deer. We think they're awesome. They're super creatures, you know, or whatever. But um, he's like he's he's always so specific about that and thinking like the deer is the deer is reactive to its environment. It's not like you know trying to uh, get you know Tom to stick his you know tail out the mouse hole and then smash it with a hammer or whatever you know. So <laughs> he always talks about that. It's so funny, you know. Yeah, I did not. That's not where I thought you were going with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean they're out there they're out there very aware that there's potential danger and they're quick to react to it, but it's, you know, they're also out there living their life most of the year without us having anything to do with them. You know, exactly. Um, Tyler, we are, we have gone on for a long time here, buddy. We got to wrap this up. Uh, It's always so much fun to chat with you, man. Where, where can everybody find your stuff out there? Yeah, man. I appreciate the opportunity big time. And, uh, I have a lot of respect for you, man. I know you know that because we text a lot, especially in September when I'm struggling early <laughs> season. You're giving me all kinds of information and stuff. Um, I, I'm like a, a uh, deer hunting therapist for early September hunters. <laughs> That's right, dude. That's right. And we we love you, man. We really and I and Casey and I both do. Especially, we really appreciate and respect you, man, and, and appreciate the opportunity to come on here and and uh, talk for a little bit, man. And it is always fun and 
um, you know, if somebody's interested in checking out more of what we do, YouTube is a good place to see all these videos. Um, we're the element on on YouTube. It's uh, you know, deer hunting, not skateboarding. And then uh, there, the elementwild.com is our website. You can find a lot of stuff, and we're on Instagram, Facebook. We don't do TikTok like Tony and I talked about earlier because at some point you can only give so much of yourself to this social media universe and uh you know there there's plenty of cool stuff to see on on youtube of ours so what about the podcast uh, you want to check that out yeah the podcast too it's the element podcast we've been doing that since 2016 uh well actually technically 2017 is when we launched our first episode in january so coming up on five years now um in january so been doing a lot of episodes had you on a couple times so if you guys like tony you can check them out on our podcast too we pretty much always do more than tactical stuff we do like some kind of philosophical episodes usually because we uh we have fun and we match up on a lot of things so definitely anyway been fun man awesome thanks buddy that's it for this week folks be sure to tune in next week for more whitetail goodness this has been where to hunt and i'm your guest host tony peterson As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for more whitetail content, be sure to check out themediator.com slash wired to see a pile of new articles each week by Mark, myself, and a whole slew of whitetail addicts. Or head on over to our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel to view the weekly content we put up. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.